Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Salimus Podcast. This episode is about the people that we don't see, the people that we refuse to see. They were once factory workers, teachers, veterans who fought and bled for our causes, bankers and cashiers, all sorts of roles, but for some reason or another, they became invisible, too unimportant for our time, not valued enough for our energy, and rather than doing something about it, we simply carry on as if they don't exist, or is it, or maybe I did, maybe that was just me. If you're a certain type though, their existence might actually anger or frustrate you. These are the poor, the homeless, the broken and the sick. They're the ones standing on the street corners, carrying signs, asking for help. And while some may think that the hard part is going out there and doing what they do, there's another part, especially the part where I fall, where I think it's now harder to live as if they aren't there anymore. Especially when I knew the person on the corner and had real experiences, real memories with them. So if you haven't figured it out by now, this episode is on poverty and its effect on our minds and society. Chris and I try to unpack my experience and why it was so heavy on me. And then we try to understand poverty and homelessness from our different perspectives. This one's lengthy, but I think it's important enough to listen to. So without further ado, I present to you episode 864, Ghosts. conversation from yesterday uh yeah i saw a i saw someone that i knew and uh they were they were sitting at at an intersection here in town and uh like i tried to just it, it was just like any other thing where i would almost try to like act like it's not really there you know what i mean to see that there's there's always panhandlers or homeless people or beggars or anything like that on the uh on the corner and I just kind of like tried to ignore it and I was playing my music and the, the music was like talking about having stacks on stacks and shit like that and, and I was turned just, it down I turned that shit down dude I was like okay I can't be like rapping about this shit right now and then um you know I, I see from the distance I was like the light turns red and I see from the distance I was like do I know that person you know and then I just kind of like keep it chill and like look off and I swear to god bro Something like, tell me, motherfucker, you need to look at this. You know what I'm saying? Look at this motherfucker in the face. And, like, I just looked up, and we locked eyes, and he started walking towards, and I was just like, fuck, what's going on, man? That's all I can muster, was, like, what's going on? I knew what the fuck was going on. Well, maybe I didn't know what was going on on the outside. I knew what was going on. He had the sign that was saying, like, you know, any bit can help kind of thing. But, uh, obviously I didn't know exactly what his struggle was or anything. I just know that he needed money, but I didn't, I didn't have any cash to give or anything like that. I didn't even think to like be a fucking nerd and be like, what's your PayPal or what's your Venmo or something like that, or to just take him to go and get food or something like that. I was just in my own world. But then afterwards I was just like, you know, he said, I'm just trying to make it, man. I was like, are are you good? He's like, yeah, yeah. Just trying to make it. But it just fucked with me, dude. And it sucked because that afternoon or that morning, I was talking about how relieved that I was that I didn't. Ernie, get the fuck out of the room. <laughs> He's so cute. 
I was talking about how relieved that I was that I didn't have to pay like thousands in taxes back. And it it was getting mitigated by a, like a, a mix up or something like that, you know, that there was there. Were, I was getting money in that was going to offset the thousands that I was going to have to pay. So now I only owe like fifteen hundred or something like that. But which, e- even which would fact, break the average which would, like household. It, like it might. owing fifteen hundred dollars, people would be like, What the fuck are we going yeah, to do? It, yeah, seriously, it might. And so it just it just made me think like it made me feel a little bit guilty for for having the life that I do and knowing that I grew up just one paycheck away from being right where they were right where he is now. And it's like, dude, what in the world happened? What was different? And I go and think about the both of us like uh, growing up and I've known this dude maybe since uh, fifth grade or something like that. Fifth or sixth, but like he always lived in a nice area. And I remember his parents, I remember his parents had this beautiful red Mercedes and I was just like, oh man, he's, he's well off. He's doing fine. And then seeing that, it just, it messed with me, dude. And I just felt guilty the entire day. And I was just like, I got to do something. I got to do something. I don't, I don't know what it is, but some shit has to change my whole view of the world. And I largely think that I do somewhat decent to try and take care of people, but I, I don't know. It was just different when it's seeing someone, you know, and maybe that's why I thought that I can, that I do somewhat decent when it comes to like taking care of people or something was because I, I largely don't know them. Do you know what I mean? But when I saw his face and I knew that this was the dude that was a fly track athlete, and this was the dude that had a beautiful girlfriend and had all these things and everyone loved the guy. And seeing him on the street asking for money and being homeless or whatever it is, man, that will that puts stuff into perspective for you. And and it really did shake me for real, dude. That's why I called you at like 11 o'clock at night. Just yeah. like, what the fuck, dude? Well, and the thing is, is that your experience is probably the more like every man type experience in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Whereas I deal with that shit on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, you see people you know, or yeah, I, I've, ah. I've had to provide services, and it's um, it's a tricky you know line to toe because you know you don't want there to be a conflict of interest. But once it, you know people that I went to school with that I provide services for, oftentimes um, we're so deep down the rabbit hole, and I'm so far removed from them as far as my my peer group is concerned at this point in life that. None of it constitutes a conflict of interest. You know, it's not like I'm showing them favoritism over any other client that I have. I've said it before on a podcast, like I don't even have to like a client to empathize with them or provide them adequate services and fair services. I never, ever will show favoritism regarding application of services towards somebody that I like over somebody that I don't like, because oftentimes the people that I don't like, there's a legitimate reason why they behave the way they do. And I, I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't abrasive and I don't like it. Like, you know, some of our folks that have a borderline personality disorder diagnosis manifest um, personality based symptoms that just absolutely great on you 
Um, they wear you out, and and in a in a vindictive kind of way, not in not in a you know constantly asking questions, not that kind of shit. Like legit, like they come at you, and if you don't understand mental illness, you you would otherwise the average person I think would take that behavior personally. Sure. So yeah, I I mean through my time as a public servant. There have been times where I've had to recuse myself, like when I worked for Child Protective Services, from an investigation because I knew who it was. But I was still privy to the allegations. I was still privy to um, the outcome of the investigation, but I was removed from it. But since I've been running this housing program for the past four years, I've encountered at least three people that I went to school with or knew growing growing up who... um, have experienced housing insecurity. And I will say statistically, there is a strong positive correlation between housing insecurity, homelessness. We'll say homelessness because housing insecurity is a much more ambiguous term. But, but the thing with homelessness, though, is that I was just looking up. It, it seems unless it's true un, or unless, unless this is untrue from 2018 and, and when you grab the entire U.S. population, less than 1% is is truly homeless. It, that's, it, it depends on your definition of homeless. That's the thing that we want. It's a, it's a sliding scale. Yeah. And, and, and doesn't it vary by night? Bruh, listen, we do a thing called K-Count, mm-hmm. and we, which is basically a census of the homeless population in Warren County. And it's uh, my agency along with other agencies that are service providers for people who are housing insecure, homeless. And they generally will pick the shittiest, coldest part of the year to conduct K-Count. This census. Um, I don't know if, if you can deduce from that. The data that you're gathering is, in my opinion, incomplete data because a lot of people are savvy enough to have found some couch to surf on or some modicum of shelter. Uh, We're going out when it's 12 degrees outside. If you went out this time of year to do K-Count, you're going to end up with higher numbers. So that shit's padded. I will Ah, say, I will say the idea. It's easier to sleep outside whenever it it doesn't feel, whenever it's not cold. Yeah. And and that's when we do even, even just sleeping outside, but like panhandling or going out and existing and walking around and doing shit. It's survival mode during K count season. Mm. And I don't, I, I I don't want to be conspiratorial, but it feels like they do that deliberately such that the United States numbers regarding homelessness don't look so abysmal. Ah, that makes sense. So I would, I honestly, um, I, I can't really speculate on how much more it is, but I would say that by a very rigid definition of homelessness, like sleeping on the street or under an overpass or something like that, yeah, we we could probably assign 1%, but 1% is a lot of fucking people. That's mm. still out of the U.S. population, which is what, 300? Yeah, I'd say, I think it's, if you do 1% of 300 million is it 318 million or something like that? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking it's around Was there. it like 500,000, 520,000, five something? I don't know. Well, 1%. One, one I, I have to do the math. I'm stupid. Well, it would be. Uh, if we were saying points. It, it, if, it would be. Uh, you, you would just move the decimal point over two 
places. I guess I was doing like the the when it was because it was saying point one point one seven percent is homeless, okay. homeless, and that would be maybe five hundred thousand. But if you're gonna do one percent, yeah, it's a fuckload of people. Yeah, it's a lot of fucking individuals, yeah. and it's it's um it's generally concentrated in specific areas. Also, mm-hmm. it's not as widespread and distributed and how it's calculated is different. Like, um, it's 3 million people. Well, homelessness by my definition encompasses several things, but the objective definition of it is, you know, occupying a place, not fit for habitation. And I think that that mm. definition that they're running with is probably a little bit more like the typical, uh, what you see in movies type, like warming your hands over a, a burning oh, yeah, trash can, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that kind of shit. Whereas in reality, there are a whole lot of people. Like if you look at uh, West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky, people that don't have running water or electricity and have to like walk across the uh, the boards in their home, lest they fall through to the uh, uh, to the dirt below. That's a whole other type of housing insecurity. And yeah, it's you're right, man. It becomes it becomes a broader issue. Once you really go down the rabbit hole and discuss homelessness, homelessness really does a disservice to the phenomena in and of itself because it's very rigid. It's like saying global warming versus climate change. There's a reason why they shifted it from global warming to climate change. It's not because it isn't global warming. It is in fact global warming. But uh, it gives too much leeway for the lay individual to pass their own kind of subjective, uh, off-the-cuff interpretation of what that actually entails is. So we say housing insecure. We'll say housing insecure is a much broader term. And real quick, you made made a really good point about the fact that we need to be a lot better about understanding what homelessness is because – you know, I went to at I was passing through Atlanta when I went to take a vacation to Tybee Island. And I remember jumping on a like coming off of uh, the the interstate and like on that ramp, there was it looked like a small little village. And mm-hmm. it's like I would still consider them homeless, even though they have roofs set up and I'm sure they have a spot where they go and live and all that kind of stuff. I still consider that homeless. Right. Like, well, okay. And then, so they have shelter. Yeah. But I don't know. And then the, the term cultural relativism is a big part of this as well. And like I said, like using Appalachia as an example, Mm. oftentimes use that as a frame of reference because that's my people and that's what I know. And that's what I've studied and shit. But, um, if you were to look at the favelas in Brazil and Rio, if you looked at those and juxtapose that over a Eurocentric American value system, that is, what the average person would consider. I, I don't even necessarily know as we would consider it homelessness. Maybe, maybe not. Again, the average individual doesn't fucking think about it as the yeah. thing. There, There is a caricature or a monolithic representation of homeless folks. They are not, they are 
completely and totally dehumanized and become yeah. become this thing that is um, an abstraction of the actual phenomenon. And that's why I when I was sitting at that stoplight, my first thing wasn't to look at them was literally just act like they weren't there. Oh, yeah. I literally told myself just be cool. act like they aren't they aren't really there because that's what every other person at that stoplight did. Yeah, it might as they might as well be existing in an entirely different dimension. Yeah. And I will tell you from my experience, there is. There's no one re- reason for homelessness. Uh, there's, you know, the the vast array and diversity of individuals experiencing homelessness. Now, I will say that there are certain trends that are associated with particular minority groups that are more prone to, sure. to homelessness. Um, people who individuals who are transgender oh, are, yeah, a high are, are really, really uh, much more at risk for homelessness than other individuals are. Also, there is unfortunately a strong positive correlation between a uh, some sort of mental health issue mm-hmm. or SMI, severe mental illness diagnosis, and experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. It's not, and it's not even hard to ascertain the chicken or egg thing. Really, a lot of times it's folks who the system has failed on the top end as children, especially once you start to reach your late teens, early 20s, is really when mental health issues start to take hold because uh, the brain, you know, neuroplasticity is starting to wait it's waning yes it's waning and and you're you're getting more concrete in your thinking then also accountability is kicking in more so not only from society in general because you become a man as soon as you turn 18 you know like if an 18 year old gets blown away on the fucking news it's uh it's a man was shot in blah 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 if a 16 year old who is only 13 months younger than said 18 year old is blown away. It's a boy. Yeah, it's a boy. And there's 13 months separating these two individuals. And you can't tell me developmentally that it makes that much of a fucking difference. Mm -hmm. So what you see a lot of times, and again, it's a vast fucking spectrum. You see uh, the geriatric population is much more likely to experience homelessness as well, because a lot of people have worked hard their entire lives And then maybe through no fault of their own, they had to run through. They had no retirement because they worked independently as some sort of contractor or whatever. They fell ill. Medical bills whooped their ass. Oh, yeah. Left them destitute. I've seen the signs about for people having crazy medical bills. Oh, dude. Well, I mean, and sometimes you you see the stories about um, or you may not see the stories. I'm, I'm sure it's represented somewhere i'm so immersed in it that i don't i don't really i can't see the forest for the trees myself on my end because it's my every day but a spouse can pass away after a long-term battle with some sort of chronic health issue and completely deplete any and all assets that that family unit had Mm -hmm. and they may not have anybody to fall back on um and so you you have somebody that's in their you know, fifties or sixties that has, that's has a walker that is low risk. They're, they're not, you know, this, again, the stereotypical the drug user, it's always victim blaming. That's the easiest fucking thing. And it's social Darwinism in the United States. Bro, I'm never going to get behind 
you know, we talk about personal accountability and I believe in personal accountability, but I believe personal accountability scales up with uh, one's uh, one's physiological attributes, which includes their psychology, as well as what hand they've been dealt to begin with. Mm -hmm. I think that accountability is endemic to that. Now, I'm not saying that that you use it as a crutch. Never do I allow, you know, I, I don't sit around feeling sorry for my clients because feeling sorry and sympathy doesn't yeah. doesn't put a that roof over their head. That could alter the way that you function with them. Right. It's empathy. And that's it's- why I want, that's, that right there is why I'm troubled that it, that it fucked me up seeing that because I don't want to have like, yeah, there's, there's sympathy there, right? But like, I want my, my next actions to not be out of sympathy because then, that is the shit that gets people in trouble. That's the stuff that's not sustainable. And that, in my opinion, will get you to back into that mindset where you're like, well, this is their own fucking problem. You know, they're just going to use it to go and do this. I think that a lot of the people that think that have been burned because they got, they, they were sympathetic at one point and they let it go build too much. And then they didn't, it's like, they didn't realize that the things that they do out of sympathy are only, working towards the symptoms of a, of a much bigger issue. Yeah. Like as I was driving home from after seeing that I was, I I said to myself, Bowling green is too big and too small to not give a shit about every single person out here. Like I just, we're too big and too small. Does that make sense to you? Like we're not like New York city or something like that. We're too big in the sense that we have, we have, we have the resources to do it. We're too small because, dude, everyone fucking knows everyone, you know? Well, that's the thing is that it's it's growing. And Bowling Green is trying to be bigger. And they're putting a lot more emphasis on forward trajectory. Instead of uh, cleaning up their messes, it's, it's let's, let's set up something pretty. Let's beautify the, um, the Riverwalk Park. Well, you know what? I I get it. I I understand the sentiment of beautifying the uh the Riverwalk Park, but a big part of that and there was a media fucking hit job that I was privy to. And everybody, I hope you're listening if if you were a part of this or you were privy to it, I hope you shit and fucking fall back in it because we had folks that were living down there around, you know, the the bridge the yeah. infamous bridge that had entire little tent communities set up, right? Well, they would get shook down occasionally by law enforcement. And what happened was we effectively had uh, law enforcement or not we, but the city of Bowling Green had law enforcement go down there, run everybody off, shake out everybody's little setups and leave shit strewn about everywhere and don't get me wrong there is stuff strewn about over there anyway there just is you don't really give a shit about recycling and like where you put your your uh refuse when you're struggling to survive but this was a deliberate attempt to make it look even worse than it already was and then they had uh the bg news come down and take pictures of it Mm -hmm. and it it made the fucking news yeah well I think a lot of this, when we talk about Bowling Green, and I've sat in meetings, and I've said this before, I sound like a broken fucking record, but Bowen National Research, we paid, the city of Bowling Green paid Bowen National Research to come and do a 
housing needs study on Bowling Green. And the results of said study, I was in attendance for when Mr. Bowen revealed it. I mean, he's not only is he the CEO or owner, but he's also a fucking high level statistician and statisticians are about a shit. Yeah. He's a successful individual. People he, lie. Numbers don't. Yes. And and he and, and when I met him, he was a very impressive individual. He he was not a used car salesman type of dude. He was just like a I'm fascinated by numbers and phenomena. And let me show you what's up. Well, the numbers overwhelmingly revealed that Bowling Green is in dire need of lower income housing. Well, there's a whole bunch of developers and real estate people and property managers and property owners in attendance as well. And it was silence amongst them. And, you know, me and my constituency are raising seven kinds of hell about this stuff. And and we even had, uh, you know, people from the city council that were there. Um, individuals and in local, lo- local politicians were in attendance, but nobody really raised a fuss except for those of us that are who are boots on the ground that are charged with helping remedy this issue. So I can't really... I can't really get behind the notion of let's beautify Bowling Green. Let's build this. Let's create this. When you haven't done the work to secure the most vulnerable amongst us. And and therein lies the... Everything has a cost, man. It, it does. And if you don't take care of it on the bottom end, it's going to manifest itself on the top end somewhere else. And it's, it's going to be even more troubling as far as dehumanizing individuals. So you have... Bowling Green, that's just a big part of Bowling Green. That's like, let's just keep it rolling. Let's fucking let's let's develop. Let's build more expensive. The The price of rent has increased over the past four years, probably 30 percent, I'd say, on average, a lot of places. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And then beyond that, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of development in areas that previously were occupied by, you know, individuals of a lower socioeconomic bracket that are being um, foreclosed on, uh, purchased for next to nothing, developed, turned into uh, multiplexes and then, or, or houses with multiple units and then rented for a premium, like $800 a month catered towards Western students, which Western's population of students is way higher than it was when you and I were going to Western. I'm saying all this wordy shit, but the reality of homelessness I can't, as boots on the ground and as a not overly emotional human being, I can't be. I mean, I would go down in fucking flames if I didn't sit there and, and like I told you, I don't even like some of the motherfuckers I provide services for, but it's the right thing to do. And it's my duty to take care of those individuals. The the blame the person is the same thing as uh, I don't believe addiction is a. an illness. I don't believe it's a mental health issue. I don't really, you you can suck a dick, bitch. Like that's, it it fundamentally fucking is. It might be in some cases, a symptom of something else. Yeah. That's more abstract substance use abuse. Isn't as simple as I tried heroin. I got addicted to heroin. It's, it's what led what in that individual's life, what culminated to lead that individual to try heroin because I have been buck wild in my life, but I have never had the desire to try heroin, you know, and I am 
a wild boy. Like, if I wanted to do some shit, I was going to fucking do it. But I was like, mm, nah. and again, it, I haven't really associated with too many individuals that were smacked out or anything. But it things don't occur in a vacuum, right? So they want to portray these individuals and their fall from grace as being entirely on them, especially since they're adults. Once the time you hit 18 years old, you become a man. Um, and I will say that there is, you're more likely to experience homelessness as a male yeah. than as a female. Not, not to say that women that are experiencing homelessness don't have it rougher. I, I, I firmly believe that. I think that legitimately, if we're going to remedy the issue, you start with the more vulnerable populations and, you know, women that are experiencing homelessness are much more at risk for violent crime. Way more. Yeah. They, they just are. So that's why I don't see many of them on the, uh, I don't see many of them on the streets, honestly, because they're, you, you are in an extremely vulnerable position. I don't see it much, even in the times where I would be in big cities because shit happens to them. Like when you see, um, uh, if you remember hearing about the tight end, Kellen Winslow, I think it was T- Kellen Winslow Jr. I think it might have been him, but he was just like stud tight end. But this dude's in prison right now because he went through and was rape was like raping homeless women, like fucking athlete, multimillionaire, and he was doing it because these women are vulnerable, you know. And and like when you think about that, it makes me then want to ask the question and sort of use this as a segue into the next section. Like, why is it that we just don't care? People who have stuff. Why is it that we just don't care that much? Now, we talked about the system being broken. We talked about the the numbers and stuff like that. But what happens in all of us so that we just don't care? Because we're so satiated. You think so? Bro, we are, we are beyond satiated. Like, I'm so satiated. And that's it's one of the primary things that I'm trying to break myself of. And, you know, whenever I'm, I move out into the country, which I'm in the process of buying a little homestead and doing things for myself, I hope to to do a little bit of reset and reassessment of my value system and waste and consumption and, you know, have, you know, my own livestock and have to butcher and process my own livestock because it's so easy to go and get like yesterday. I feed my dogs raw. My dogs eat better than most human beings, even people with plenty of money. My dogs just eat, you know, raw, like fresh chicken thighs, legs, blueberries, supplement, apple, uh, organ meat, liver, all that stuff every day. So I go and I buy like 40 pounds of chicken yesterday. I buy like 20 pounds of beef. I buy like five pounds of organ meat and I don't even blink. And that's for my dogs, right? I sit at home and I send you and Mark messages about my little sneaky endeavors on DoorDash where I lightweight hope they fuck my order up because <laughs> yeah. if they fuck my order up, I'm still going to eat it, <laughs> yeah. but then I'm going to complain and get all my credits back <laughs> minus the tip that I sent to the DoorDasher, yeah. right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing anything unethical. I've just figured out kind of a loophole in the system where I'm like, how dare you overcook my motherfucking steak? Complain, <laughs> DoorDash credits. Ah, yeah, I'm about yeah. to order Taco Bell at one o'clock in the morning tonight. But uh, that's my point is yeah. I'm on the fucking front lines of this shit, bro. Like I see it every day. You know, something you just said, you were talking about being able to like trick DoorDash, right? I was I was talking to some friends about um, uh, the 
how much each of us pays in taxes. And it was talking about how the, the, the wealthy, you know, upper 1% pays the vast, they pay, they're supposed to pay the huge majority, but because they're up there, they know to do the things to, to make them not pay that much. Do you know what I mean? In the same way that you know how to game DoorDash, these guys know how to game, you know, taxes. So that's why it's like for when you when you don't have money, it costs way more to be poor. Like even though they only pay a small percentage of what the large, you know, majority of tax revenue or whatever you want to call it, the it still costs a lot more to be poor, even though the rich are paying a lot more. But the actual but, cost, but percentage wise, they're not, and yeah. they, and that's the thing too that people don't understand about taxes is that like when you're talking about taxable income, when you fall in certain tax brackets, all it does is affect how much of your income past X amount of dollars is taxable at this rate. Yeah. Then when you get into the next tax bracket, then this amount of your dollars, this this per- is is taxable at this rate it's not this and that flat tax shit like we're just going to do a flat tax i think that's fast and loose i think it's playing it fast and loose i think we need to return to like prior to was it reagan that gave all the that basically like we went to a 30 percent tax rate for for the super wealthy pretty sure yeah it was reaganomics because it was the trickle down theory yeah but before that um the uber wealthy were paying like 70 percent you know, yeah, and they're paying taxes on that wealth yeah. again. And trickle down didn't work. It, it hasn't yeah. worked at all. More money has just gotten lodged up at the mm-hmm. fucking top. But that's what people don't understand about taxes is that it's it's not as though, uh, oh goddamn, like out of every every dime that this motherfucker makes, you're gonna get taxed at seventy percent. No, bitch. Like outside of if you make five hundred thousand, if you hit the threshold of five hundred thousand a year, anything outside of five hundred thousand dollars a year then puts you in a different tax bracket where you are then taxed. That income is taxed at 70 percent. So if you make seven hundred thousand dollars a year and that puts you in that that particular tax bracket, anything over five, that two hundred thousand is then taxed at 70 percent. But. I digress. The The main point that I want to convey, which I've been very long-winded about, but we are so terribly satiated, so fucking terribly satiated and fat and happy. Those of us, and there's a reason why I was pushed through in school, because I didn't do what I was told at all. I did not. The teachers were just like, Chris is going to do whatever the fuck he wants, yeah. and he's going to be successful, reasonably successful, and there's nothing we can do about it either way. Like, I'm not going to teach Chris because he's so fucking unruly. He already knows this. He hates doing this. And nothing has changed. And it it taught me to be kind of a belligerent motherfucker. Like, I still, I sometimes still work on that to this day. But the the thing about sympathy is that, and and sympathy is something that the average person can grant. And they do grant especially in theory. And then you grant sympathy in practice as well. 
like you were exposed to something and that that facilitated some sort of inherent desire to extend sympathies. The difference between sympathy and empathy is that sympathy is a form of currency almost. It's a form of social currency and it's finite. Sure. Empathy is not. Empathy is an intrinsic um, abstraction that is that is. Again, it's intrinsic. It's endemic to the individual, and it entails role taking, and it it entails placing yourself in somebody else's position such that you can understand them. Being empathetic towards someone does not mean that you agree with them or think what they're doing is good or that they've done everything correctly. It 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 entails understanding them. Yeah, sympathy is again it's a type of currency and it's fucking finite yeah. and and you get burnt out when it comes to sympathy and I, I don't think the average american is so far removed the average american and since covid almost two-thirds I looked it up almost two-thirds of um americans are living paycheck to paycheck since Jesus covid Christ. began almost two-thirds that's a whole lot of people living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. You could extrapolate from that. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, there's only so many social programs and ways that you can finagle such that you are not one check removed, one paycheck removed from uh, being at risk for homelessness. Yeah. There's something I wanted to read here. Um, it says people are having problems with their lives, but are not blaming them on income distribution. Uh, despite so much political and academic focus on the subject, it's clear as it's not clear uh, to people that inequality is an issue. One of the reasons for this discrepancy might be the so-called American dream. The middle class still believes in it, and some 45 percent of them think they're on their way to achieving it, despite recognizing that it's harder now to get a college education or to earn middle class income than where they than when they were young. 78% of middle-class parents also think their children will experience this dream. Lower-income people are also more likely to believe that factors like growing up in an upper-class neighborhood, having educated parents, or knowing the right people are more important to achieving economic success than higher-income people are. This belief in the American dream may be mit mitigated by their sense of financial insecurity and anxiety about their financial future. But the author says that the majority of Americans still aren't as concerned about inequality as a political situation may suggest. Yeah, because the American dream has a lot of stuff that has to do with uh, America and, and presenting America in this this positive light is actually an, an indictment of the fact that America is the Wild West, so to speak. It's yeah. a place where social Darwinism is allowed to run amok unlike anywhere else. And again, accountability is one thing. I fully believe in accountability. It's it's a big part of what I do on a regular basis. But you can't tell me that some piece of shit motherfucker that drives a $70,000 uh, Chevrolet pickup truck that's brand new that's ranting to on some viral video with his cowboy hat on about America and how great America is has any fucking frame of reference for how bad things are and systemic poverty and how that shit works. Mm -hmm. Again, there's no frame of reference. You have the absolute desire 
to understand it. You have a desire. That individual doesn't. And I, th- I would say a, an enormous amount of people do not have a desire to understand it. They have much more of a desire to believe in the American dream and also believe that what they've achieved is 100 percent as a result of their own merit, that we live in a meritocracy, mm-hmm. the Horatio Alger myth. Um, it's also a the Joel Osteen era of Christianity where opulence and achievement is God's blessings. When in the Bible, it fucking says it's, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to, to make it to heaven, to pass into heaven. And again, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty much anti-theist, but at the same time, like a lot of these people that will say that Americans, America's a Christian nation or I'm a Christian or whatever. It's a sociopolitical kind of affiliation. It's people look at Judaism sideways, but in reality, Christianity is the same thing. It's just much more widespread and mainstream mm-hmm. to say that you're Christian gets you into a certain club. Oh, yeah. To, to be Christian, air quotes, gets you into a certain club. And uh, the the Joel Osteen era of Christianity, megachurches, the uh, popularization of of religion as a commodity to be bought and sold to individuals, uh, you know, tax free money so people can fly around on jets and be closer to God so they can spread the gospel and all this shit. It's all just an indictment of how fucking far our system has run amok and just given people the middle finger who have that, that, that don't have a fighting chance, man. Mm -hmm. Like a kid can be born absolutely exceptional genetic predisposition towards being the, the next big name in astrophysics Uh and work as hard as he wants to, she wants to, but if you are, uh, born into poverty, don't, you know, you go to sleep hungry. Uh, your parents did the same thing. It's a multi-generational thing. They barely scrape by. They might draw a check. I mean, again, I'm not trying to stigmatize anybody in particular, but this is the reality. But you've got kids that, you know, they, they go to sleep hungry. They're stressed out. Their parents are stressed out. Being stressed out leads to maladaptive behaviors, coping mechanisms. Again, things like substance use, abuse, um, child abuse, spouse abuse, whatever it may be. A lot of these things correlate together. Obesity. Obesity. Mm -hmm. And obesity correlates with a lot of uh, mental health things like uh, depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also poverty, just because when the food is bad. That's what that's all you're going to eat. Oh, it's yeah. Not sustaining. It is. That's what it was for us. And it and it keeps and it keeps you feeling bad. It hamstrings you too. Yeah. you're not yeah. you're not as likely to be want to go out there and get it when all you do is eat trash all the fucking yeah. time. Let me tell you something. I, you know, when I was thinking about this uh, a little bit yesterday and uh, honestly today. I think that my. In my opinion, I don't believe that we believed in the American dream. At least I didn't understand it when I was young. Right. I think that my saving grace that got me to where I am now, even though I grew up extremely poor and on welfare and everything was that I didn't know about it. Mm 
I didn't know that I was poor. Like I didn't know I, I had nothing to compare to. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we, I, we just learned to work with what we had. And I feel like that, that developed a lot of skills right there. I think that when we start comparing ourselves to other people that can cause depression, that can cause just not look like what, you know, how anything happens when you start comparing yourself to other people, you start, you can be like, oh, they're better than me, or I'm not as good or something like that. That can lead to depression. That can lead to just bad thoughts that can lead to low productivity, all that kind of stuff. All we, we, I did not know that we didn't have everything. I just thought that, oh, at certain points of the, the year, there's a there are huge boxes that would be at the laundromat, the community laundromat, and they would have toys in them. I didn't know that it was donation thing. I just knew that every single year people would be bringing toys and dropping them off and stuff like that. That was like an awesome time. I didn't know that they were broken, used, whatever. Like, but when when I wasn't thinking about that stuff, it gave me the mental bandwidth to just be curious and to learn about other stuff. Well, but I have to draw a distinction between the poverty that's experienced by, um, you know, immigrants and first generation children of immigrants. That type of poverty is a different creature than sure. than is the poverty that's experienced multi-generationally in the United States by, me, by poor whites, poor blacks and, and indigenous folks. Yeah. Let me add this, too. And because I was going to say that. You don't see many, honestly, like you don't see many like homeless people from other countries. No, because this when when we had I'm it was very, no problem. I, I can't think of a single one that Dude, I, I've I've worked with. It was there was no problem for us to have someone from Nigeria stay with us for years. Yeah, like that's just how that's just what you know, and you look at like Mexican families. This is it's almost the same thing. Houses with a lot of people in there, Asian families, houses with 10 people in them and all that. And a lot of a lot of America will shit on those people for having, you know, 18 people in their house or something. But it's because those people aren't they do that. So you don't see them out on the streets. And then later on, they're building. There's that kind of solidarity there and they're handling shit. They're opening businesses or doing all these things, sharing resources. Why do you think they demonize Immigrants. Why, yeah, they why? demonize the hell out of Bosnians. Well, it, it, you don't see any homeless Bosnians. Man. No, you don't. But <laughs> if you look at immigrants in general, aside from immigrants from European countries, yeah, you know, aside from that, because that if you immigrated from if a family immigrated from England and then decided to put their roots in in the United States, they will be assimilated. Yes, they're going to be fucking assimilated. It's not like. <laughs> and I, I don't want to paint this with a broad fucking uh, brush, but to be quite honest with you, again, you, you move here from England. Your your parents were both from England. You moved here. You grew up with English parents and in an American society. One, you're not that far fucking removed because your native language and all of that coincides. The Eurocentric value system is really an adaptation of that's where our value system came from originally. And within a few generations, it's not like, oh, yeah, we're going to celebrate this aspect of our heritage, blah, 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 blah. Again, you, you get assimilated into the larger culture, the normative culture, the default culture, which happens to be like cis, hetero, um, white, Christian and like Anglo-Saxon Christian in the United States, whereas immigrants 
melanistic immigrants in particular, whether they be uh, from a Latin American country, from Africa, uh, from certain parts of Asia. You know, they we don't. And I, I will say that in lieu of uh, uh, the COVID outbreak, there's been a, a extreme uptick in violence towards Asian Americans oh, yeah. and Asian immigrants. It's fucking terrible. Um, and then, you know, during the Rodney King, uh, during the riots in LA, there was a big furor between uh, African Americans and Korean Americans in LA because there was that, uh, that Korean store owner lady who just shot yeah. a, a black girl. Like she wasn't like, she was like 15 or 16 or something shot her fucking dead. But anyway, I'm not trying to gloss over the plight of, um, of some individuals, but there are certain groups that have proliferated in the United States and it's very different. And it's because they've carved out their own specific part of the United States rather than assimilating and not non-assimilation is problematic for the status quo. The more individuals you have from other countries that are non-compliant with that assimilation. Now, I will say, again, you have you have certain groups that aren't perceived as like if you came here from Japan. Generally speaking, aside from the racism that's associated with, especially now after the Trump presidency and dealing with covid, but or not dealing with covid, um, but. You know, Japanese folks aren't stigmatized the same way, yeah. but there's not the same kind of socioeconomic, sociopolitical issues that are associated with it. Now, if you come came from the Philippines, which people of uh, Fil- Filipino descent are a amalgam of Asian and uh, like Spanish. Yeah, it seems like Spanish, Latin. Yeah. So it's it's an amalgam of of multiple things, but you have uh you have individuals that are coming here with wanting to imbibe in the American dream, wanting to participate in the American dream, but their culture is deeply ingrained in them. Yeah. Your culture is who you fucking are. Mm. And and you are going to do everything you can to make that carry on. Um when you have a kid, because I fully believe you'll have a kid and you'll work on having having a son like you'll have kids until you have a son type shit probably uh that's that's something that that carries on through perpetuity and it isn't going to carry on the same way again if if you were an immigrant from a western european country it's not the same fucking thing even if you're like my great grandma was from spain cool i can't tell like you know what i'm saying well that's one of the reasons why it's so problematic and you're changing the landscape of the United States. It's like, okay, brown people are winning. Mm-hmm. Um, so immigration in terms of poverty and housing insecurity and things like that, it's a different phenomena than the folks that have been here for generation upon generation yeah. that have experienced it. So we'll and look I, and at- I'll also say that there, there are massive homeless populations in in other countries but it's like when they get here something changes and it's like all right we're here together you know we've, we've got to band together you know what i mean right. like and i want to read this here it says americans have one of the most independent cultures on earth a majority of americans um define people in terms of internal attributes such as choices abilities values preferences decisions and traits 
This is a this is very different from interdependent cultures such as Eastern Asian, African, where people are uh, mainly in terms of they're seen mainly in terms of their environment, context, and relationships with others. A direct consequence of in, in independent mindsets and cognitive models is that one may ignore all the historical and environmental conditions such as slavery, segregation, discrimination against women that contribute to a, to certain outcomes. When we ignore the historical context, it's easier to instead attribute unfavorable and uh, it's easier to um, attribute an unfavorable outcome such as poverty to the person. Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, I'll say that when you have a a value system and you come from a country that isn't steeped in surplus and satiation and excess, mm. which our culture very much is. Again, yes. I make, um, I make a lot of money for me. Like mm. I make a lot of fucking money for me as a single man. Um, I make way more than I fucking need to. I mean, I just burned through it. I mean, you, you are the same way. Like it's, but again, you you have a different cultural value system than I do. I come from fucking hill people. Like, and I know my pedigree going back generations, just like you know your fucking pedigree going back generations. And that's a valuable thing that gets lost in the sauce for so many different groups, you know? But uh, that's a leg up that we have. We have that identity that carries on. And I will say my people didn't come from opulence. They didn't. They came from, you know, the hills of Appalachia and uh, being, you know, free men and women of color and kind of having to exist on the fringes of society. But our culture is predicated on not needing anyone. Mm. Our culture is predicated on. And even within my family, it's magnified even more. It's like, of course, you're a bad motherfucker. Like, I expect you to do bad motherfucker shit. Like, you get no credit. Like, you know how your mom is like, I just love my little baby <laughs> yeah. so much. My mama is like, of course you're dope. Yeah. Now shut up. Like, yeah. if somebody compliments me to my mom, my mom would be like, he's okay, I guess. Like, she's secret. She's part of her's proud, but the larger part of her is like, I don't want him to be arrogant. I don't want him to be full of his own shit. Like I got to, I got to keep him grounded and knock him down a notch. But when you look at, and that's a unique experience for Melungeons that have the identity of being Melungeon. And we are a very small group. We're a small group of individuals and in modernity. And we, we've slid under the fucking radar saying that we was part Italian, saying that we were part American Indian and American Indians have largely been assimilated. And if not assimilated, they've been subjugated. And that's the difference is that there's ongoing bids to subjugate poor whites, poor blacks and poor indigenous populations and make them blame each other in the it. United States. Yes. Yeah. And and regardless there you there's no way to put a consistent um, formulaic type of subjugation in place when it comes to groups that are immigrants. Um, the proliferation, the, 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 you know, they, they have their own cultural system that's set up the language barriers. Every single element of that is an impediment regarding subjugating those individuals. And not to say that, that you don't have cops in East LA that fuck with Hispanic folks at a higher percentage, Hispanic folks, 
that have been here for generations. I do not want to uh, trounce on that either, but there's kind of a little bit of the same kind of deal with indigenous populations. They're, once you're here and you're American enough for them to fuck with, then they're going to put a deliberate bid in place to keep you hamstrung. They're going to, uh, they're going to police your neighborhoods a certain fucking way. They're going to go, if they need to meet a quota, they're going to go to your neighborhood to meet that fucking quota. And if you're born in America, born in the land of the free, what is your fucking excuse for not making it when, when these people that came from nothing, that crossed over on I've said that before. You know what I'm I've, saying? I've told I've told someone that I don't understand how they don't understand like finances and money when you grew up with you know grandparents who would give you guys stuff. You grew up with all these other things. Why is it that I know more than you? Well, see, I have I, have, I don't like that I said that, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, but uh, but part of this is is being candid and and all about growth and acknowledgement yeah. of shit. Like I I was thinking on the way over here about like Things I'd said earlier on in the infancy of our podcast that I now believe differently about. Mm-hmm. Like I just have I've come to terms with it and and been at peace with it. And I'm more angry about other things yeah. than I previously was. But this uh, definitely let me ask you a question. How much or like what percentage of Chris believes that poverty and homelessness and, and all that stuff is a is a choice? Okay, let me break it up into sections. All right. Okay. I will say out of out of the the larger body of individuals that I see experiencing homelessness, um, the term choice is really difficult because okay. if you've got a fifty year old man that all he's known is wild boy shit, all he's ever known is wild boy shit. And he's a bad motherfucker. He's king of the jungle as far as it comes to like couch surfing and going and surviving on the streets. But he's got a severe mental illness diagnosis on top of it. And I'm speaking from personal experience with a client, uh, with clients that I've had that just fundamentally, when you get a roof over their head, they wilt. Yeah. They wilt because, and we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs a lot. I know you and I do it, but even like people that are more in social work, you have conventional social workers and then you have people that are more the mental health end of the spectrum that are more psychologist than they are a social worker. You know, conventional social work and how it's trained through school, it exposes you to sociology and psychology, but the mental health end of it is its own creature. So we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And when those people are constantly ripping and running and residing in those, uh, you know, those lower tiers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like uh, securing shelter, uh, safety, food, things like that. And they do that for so long, their body acclimates to that. They, their, their mind, their psychology, their identity is molded by that, then all of a sudden you place them, I I put them somewhere. I find them placement. And then let's be quiet for just a second. Deafening. Mm. You put an individual 
that has existed ripping and running and their homeostatic state is predicated on, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to hustle today and I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go this way and I'm going to fight to survive in this and my body responds to it. And then you put them in a place and put a roof over their head. They wilt, they struggle, they hoard even. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of hoarding behaviors that we see come from they're a product not, and we'll not say all, but see hoarding behaviors very much can be a product of multi-generational poverty. Because not just hoarding too. I was going to say, I'll let you finish. I'll let you, I'm just going to say ahead. that they also give away all their stuff or they, they spread it amongst. Oh yeah. Like so, but go, go ahead and finish. What well, you're and that's a good point. When one of my mentors, she said that um, something that you find with people, of higher SES is if you give them a dollar, they keep that dollar and they hold on to that dollar and they'll hold on to that dollar indefinitely and accrue another dollar. And then another dollar people with low SES, if they get a dollar, they share it with everybody around them and it's gone. Do you know, in the, how, in you know the what percentage of NFL it, players that broke because of that? And that's the key, what you said in hope that it returns. Like, do you know how been like I can't remember what percentage? I bet it's of, a fuckload, dude. dude. It is a fuckload of NFL players that go broke be before like the third year out of the well, NFL. Think about musicians too, yeah. bro, because they give their money to every, like it's it's known to just share it. You know, you you hook your people. When I make it, then everybody then everybody makes make it. it because in their head, there's like those people contributed to me getting to where I am. And yeah, they might have helped you and propped you up and all that kind of stuff, but. It's you're going into a very dangerous thing. This same thing happens to my family, dude. Like that's the that's the biggest struggle between me and my dad is that when he gets money, he will help everyone else in Nigeria. Right. At the cost of everything else going on at the house. And so when I got to being of age where I was comparing myself to other people and knowing what my parents brought in and all that other stuff, and then looking at what we have, looking at our house and being like, oh man, there's stuff falling apart. There's stuff that's not working right. Even though we're happy and we're, you know, I mean, having that whole family life, I know that there are things that could be taken care of because their or his mindset is to take care of other people <clears throat> first. And I remember having that conversation with him and being like, why do you do that? You see all this stuff is going on over here. And he told me that no matter how bad we have it here, it's always worse over there. Yeah. It's always worse. And Part of me, I mean, I understood, I then understood it. It's still, it's, I don't like it still because me, for me to be, to do what he asked me to do and be better than him, like I cannot in good conscience do that. I have to take care of my family. I have to take care of the people right in front of me. Your legacy, there's, and, and, and therein lies the paradox of you can't help anyone if you go down in flames. Yeah. If you if you spread yourself too fucking thin, and that's why I've said that I have a finite number of fucks that I can allocate out. And <clears throat> and I give all the fucks when it comes to my profession and the population that I advocate for, the, the population I defend, the population that I am in I have a vested interest in their success. I just can't step away. Kalu, no shit. Like and this isn't arrogance. This is a fucking fact. I could be a money making shark ass motherfucker if I wanted to, yeah. but it's one, it's not built into my DNA. It's very much not built into my DNA. If anything, what's built into my DNA is to fight 
and flip the middle finger to the powers that be. To be successful, to be smart, to shake a tail feather and be different and be novel in a white man's world existing alongside. Man, and and again, I'm very fortunate that my people came from Berea, Kentucky. That that's it. Like in modernity, I, my brown skin relatives that came out of Berea, Kentucky, there's nowhere else in Appalachia that I'm familiar with that you could be brown, beige, racially ambiguous and successful. Get a college degree. Go on. And, and I mean, all of my 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 grandfather, my great uncles and aunts all had college educations from Berea College. Because that and, one, they pay for it. Like, if, isn't if, that how it is? Well, if you're from there. If but you're from there. If you're from there, they pay for it. But also, it was the first integrated city in the state of Kentucky until they enacted, I think it was, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure when they specifically mandated segregationist values regarding universities. But prior to that, was open to fucking whoever. And by that time, Berea was already so blended and it was a safe haven for people who are racially ambiguous or black or brown to show up and, and carve out a fucking living. But, but my people came from there and I'm, I am very fortunate to come from that. That's, I won't say that's a privilege. That's just a product of me being one out of, however many thousand of individuals of my ilk that were able to retain my identity through all of this and not really pretend like Earl, I guess, pretended to be white. But if you look at like pictures of my daddy in the white yearbook, you're like, Earl, come on now. Yeah. yeah. Like we know that, but you know, for, for the sake of flying under the radar, a lot of Melungeons did that shit. There were, you know, the term white passing. Like, mm-hmm. that's a, a lot of people of mixed ethnicity and mixed heritage did that shit to survive and to proliferate. And you can look at it as being, um, and I hate to even use the term Uncle Tom as pejorative because Uncle Tom himself was dope as a character, but... Um, being kind of a sellout or an Uncle Tom on some shit. No, I, now we're at this place in history where I don't have to fucking pretend, and I'm light skinned as fuck compared to you know p- other people that I identify with. So I'm gonna use my privilege and I'm gonna hustle and I'm gonna do my thing to help out as many motherfuckers as I can. And it doesn't matter what color the skin is. That's not that that isn't what my thing is. My thing is is t- to assist marginalized folks. Yeah. But you ask me. What percentage of people I believed um, got to the, a place of homelessness out of choice? Yeah. I think that question to a degree entails a belief in free will. And mm-hmm. I think you know where I'm at with free will, that I believe that, you know, that we're a culmination of our genetics acted upon by every experience that we've ever had, every experience even that our ancestors had through epigenetic means. So I, I'm a little bit, you know, if, if I want to, if I want to be a ding dong, I'd be like zero because mm. I don't believe in free will. But if we break it up into categories, um, experiencing intermittent periods of homelessness through uh, being reckless, being doing wild boy or wild girl shit and rejecting anything and everything that's handed to you and you don't have a severe mental illness diagnosis or any kind of 
handicap. I'd say, and again, homelessness isn't necessarily something that somebody experiences through the totality of their life. You could be homeless for a year, you know, and we'll throw folks like that into a category. I'd say as much as fucking 20 to 50 percent. If you're looking at that group. Now, if you look at people like I was talking about that, the king of the jungle, the man that the man or woman that lives in a rattled cage, what would be a rattled cage to us. And once I put them in a place of peace, the silence is deafening. The meaning behind their life, the hustle is gone and they wilt, I'd say 5%. And that's an unfortunate, that's an unfortunate number. And it's, um, I don't see a lot and it's to varying degrees. It's, it's a really difficult thing because I don't see, I see trends because I've dealt with hundreds of individuals at this point, but I also see faces and I know how, how unique each individual situation is, but that's part of the issue is that institutionalization isn't just being in prison for 20 years. In institutionalization isn't just being uh, in a personal care facility for 15 years. Institutionalization is also experiencing chronic homelessness for 15 or 20 years, which also could overlap with, you know, serving prison time, serving time in a mental care facility, anything like that. But that institutionalization conditions the individual to behave a certain way in order to survive. And then we try to translate that to our norm, what we consider normal, and it doesn't work. And then we want to blame them. Yeah. It's not their fucking fault. And it's a, it's a, it's a reflection upon the, the structure of our society. It is. It's more than it is their choice. Absolutely. It isn't their choice. They, they're at where they're at. Like right now, all the, all the folks that are out there, you know, 50 years old, again, you have people that tell they will tell me actively like I wish I'd never done this or I wish I'd never done that, but they've been conditioned to blame themselves too. Yeah, and the, for me, like <clears throat> it, it goes on this one part of a song that the, the guy says, um, "I may have no one else to blame, but you and I were once the same." Like I feel that there is one point. Uh, at the very beginning of all of us where where we are kind of on a somewhat similar playing field and and not playing field but just like in terms of their humanity in terms of how i how i see them as a person and that makes me wonder where in my life did i begin to not see them like what happened to me or what happened to them where i can just carry on like they don't exist well, I can't help but the first thing that popped in my head were, were the lyrics from uh, uh, "Walking in the Snow" mm, on the last song. Yes, the <laughs> the latest RTJ album, yeah. RTJ four, where he says, "The way I see it, you probably free us from the ages one to four. By the age of five, you shipped away for your body to be stored." Oh yeah. Um, they promise education, but really they feed us tests and scores, and predict and prison population on who's scoring the lowest Mm -hmm. and usually the lowest score is the poorest and they look like me Mm -hmm. and every day in the evening news they feed you fear for free yeah okay that's it Mm -hmm. is it's kind of like the and i think i've said this before it's kind of like the sorting hat and harry potter school is the the sorting hat 
you you get sent off to school and that's the beginning of of victim blaming hmm. and, and a lot of and I, I saw it I experienced it you know my maladaptive behaviors my rowdiness that was mitigated by my my exceptional intellect by comparison to my peers yeah. in that area you know I'm not saying that I'm 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 in a upper echelon or I historically have been, you know, but, and I've always been told that my whole life. But when I went to school, I was buck ass wild. But the, these teachers had no idea the impact that growing up Jehovah's Witness and being completely socially isolated had on the mind of a active, not only physically active, but like psychologically active individual little kid like not that little kids in general aren't just sponges that are like constantly absorbing shit but above and beyond that so i went to school and i'm this rowdy motherfucking kid and i didn't have teachers or i'll say i very rarely had teachers that looked at me as an individual and were thinking like damn like why does he act like this Mm. like it it was it was very much a punitive thing. I got blamed for it whenever I would act out or I would do this. I'd get in a fight or I would. Um, Hold up. Ernie, shut up. All right. I get in a fight or I wouldn't turn in my, my busy work because I just hated busy work. I like tests. Mm-hmm. Tests are fun. There's a little competitive element to it, but nothing competitive about doing a crossword puzzle with all the the key words that we're supposed to learn that bitch I already fucking knew like two years before that. No, there there was no understanding when it came to that. It was just it it Chris is a bad kid. Mm. Let's switch Chris around. Like I was in sixth grade and it was me and uh, get out. Get out. It was me and uh some black kids and we got isolated as the problem in the group and there was a couple of white kids in the group too but guess who schedules in sixth grade and we're already like halfway through the fucking school year they completely rearranged the schedules for me and the black kids really yeah the white kids it's almost like these poor white kids are just following along they're victims or whatever blah 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 and then me and I'll call for the sake of of anonymity. I'll call him Pepto, and if he's listening, he'll get mad because we used to call him Pepto because he's pink and light skinned. <laughs> but me and Pepto were got singled out as the ringleaders, and they just rearranged our class schedule instead of any teacher. And and don't get me wrong, they're underpaid. It's kind of like the issue with law enforcement; they are victims too. Teachers are victims of this system. They're overburdened. They're underpaid. They're blamed for a lot of shit. But nobody took the time to look at me as an individual and really examine the machinations that resulted in me behaving the way that I did. So it really begins the parsing out, the sorting hat, if you will, begins in school and it continues through school. And if by the time that you've graduated or didn't graduate, actually, they're going to find a way to blame you if you're old enough. Even if you're 16 and you drop out of school or flunk out of school or whatever you want to call it, they're going to blame you. Mm. They're like, well, he dropped out when he was 16. See, see, this is what happens when you drop out when you're 16 years old. But 
why, why, what culminated in this child's life to make him feel like he wanted or needed to drop out of school at 16 years of age? Yeah. And then they parade around these cases of, well, this person didn't go to school and they make millions. Again, yeah. it's buying in. It's assimilation. It's buying into the American dream. And if you aren't a good, obedient, golden retriever ass motherfucker in this world and nothing against golden retrievers. Um, but they're not hardwired the same way as other breeds are. Sure. They're more malleable. They'll adapt to whatever. I mean, they're probably not going to be super duper good at like, you know, police work as far Hell as like not. running in and snatching a motherfucker yeah. and nothing like that. But unless you're a good boy, good boy. And there are levels to being a good boy too. You know, like we love our law enforcement. We love our steel workers. We love our coal miners. That's that's fish love. Yeah, it's it's the love uh, America and the, the people who run America. Because don't we're not under any fucking delusion. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't believe that money, corporations, and the people that are attached to these corporations are running this country rather than anything, yeah, anything else, then just fucking tune out, bitch, or listen because this is how the fuck it is. Yeah. Obedience is rewarded in varying degrees in accordance to usefulness. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was pushed through school. I wasn't pushed through school because I did what I was told, to be quite honest with you. They just saw that I was going to be successful and useful in some context. And I'm a rarity. Obedience is rewarded more than anything. Grades are quantified and predicated on the ability to follow directions, which a lot of times those grades and homework and everything require a peaceful environment, an environment with resources to research, um, having parents that are knowledgeable, that are learned themselves. Imagine going home and you've got you, you do have enough to eat. You do have cable TV. You do have the lights on, but they ain't a book one in your home. Yeah. And both you got a, a single parent who works all the fucking time and maybe just has a high school education. And think about that versus a kid that goes home and has a limitless number of books and resources at their disposal. Plus they have parents that are going to imbue the same that they received in them. It, again, it's, it's I a multi encyclopedia Britannica, even when I, even poor, we did too. We had the encyclopedia had the- in, in kindergarten. And I actually, I was like reading that. Oh yeah. That was you one of my mean? favorite fucking things is we would, I'd get out like, I'd be like, I wonder what animals are in J and I yeah. grabbed a J and yeah. I just looked through yep. there and I'd memorize shit and yeah. find facts and stuff. Yeah. I would look up all kinds of weird shit and just learn about different stuff. And then like, I'd eventually get curious and open up the human body because they would have like one oh, half be, was like some titties. Yeah, there'd be some was, titties. It was and like they, the inside of a titty. I didn't care about the inside of a titty, but like it just had the regular titty. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, what are them little things it's in like, there? Oh and my like, God. Is that what pr- produces lactation? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we, we grew up with the caveat of having access to, and then I have older siblings that were also they're substantially older that are also 
had the benefit of multi-generational knowledge and an expectation of being exceptional, cultural expectation of being exceptional. You had a cultural expectation of being exceptional. Mm -hmm. There was no like, it's cool to be stupid around the Kilbourne house. Yeah. There was the point I I have an extremely low tolerance of like, like people who aren't intelligent or people who aren't interested in becoming intelligent. I I have an, I have an intolerance of people who can't spell shit. Right. Yeah. And I just said shit right. That's just a product of like this area. But when I'm talking properly, well, who can't spell properly, I say Louisville purposefully. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's all these things that it's like, that was like super ingrained in me back then. Like that is something that I value hardcore. But I tell you, honestly, part of that, especially through um, an exceptional expectation from a first generation immigrant kid. That's part of your fucking uh, Batman toolkit Mm. for you to fucking proliferate in this Eurocentric society, especially being as chocolatey as you are. Code switching is something that you and I both do. I I do it more than you do, and I do it more profoundly than Mm -hmm. you do. I go from from Mr. Prim and Proper to black as fuck to um, to redneck in like within an hour of each other. And it serves me really well as a public servant to code switch like that. But also, I contain those volumes. I contain those multiple cultural value systems. And it's like speaking different languages. Mm -hmm. The adherence to uh, proper English is a Eurocentric, colonial, oppressive fucking concept used to further denigrate populations of people that are marginalized. And the fact that you were taught, again, to utilize, okay, this is ha- this is what these honkies fucking expect mm-hmm. out of you. And and really, there there's a beauty to it as well because you're in you're in the area that you're at and you're not adhering to this um this honky bullshit either. You're like, uh, no, fucking I'm not going to pronounce it like that. Like that, <laughs> it's kind so of fucking that's fucking that's not how you say that I tell shit. Tell people there's no King Louisville. Yeah, but there's but King I say Louis. I say Louisville. Yeah. I say Louisville. But and it's quick. I don't say Louisville. Wow. Um, <laughs> we're going to Louisville. Yeah. Louisville. But I've never said Louisville yeah, ever. Yeah. Well, do you, and I and I say oil. I don't say oil. I say oil. But it but coming out of my mouth for some reason it just don't seem right yeah, for me to I say, say caramel. Can you imagine? But if you hanging out with me and I say oil, you'd be like, why, be like why did Kilmore say it like that? It's like, hey, dude, I'm not your manager, bro. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> let's stop oil. Oil. That's not how Chris. Like, talks. I'm not wearing a wire, dude. Like, oil. You're good. Yeah, I'm somewhere between like black redneck and you know yeah, what yeah. and academic, like in that area. But yeah, I say oil. Yeah. Uh, spooled. This shit is spooled. Yeah. I, you, girl, you. This baby is spooled rotten. This spooled. child is spooled. She's rent. Rent. <laughs> She's rent. Oh, this shit is kyarn. <laughs> hey, all right. So to wrap this up, how? Where do we go from here? Well, where does where does someone like me who fits that everyday man uh, narrative that you were talking about earlier? Like, where does someone? go forward once once you get hit with that moment and you actually see the poverty or the homelessness or whatever right in your face my first instinct is that i'm going to try my best to not to not 
treat them like ghosts. I'm going to try my best to, to not carry on like they don't exist because at the end of the day, that is my, that's my biggest fear. Honestly, is to, to be someone who just no one, not, not someone notices, but just to be invisible, you know, because there's, there's, when you look at, uh, the people and I, I used to troll people who would buy wild shit when they would get a tax return. Right. Like, and I had one, one of my friends on Facebook was shitting on people for when they got their stimulus money and they went and bought car parts. And he was like, Oh, you couldn't, you couldn't buy that without a stimmy. Go pay your bills. Instantly. I, I was sick. And I was like, dude, fuck you, man. First of all, like you shouldn't, like, you shouldn't be saying that you shouldn't be saying that period. Is it a flex that I shouldn't be getting one? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not parading that shit around, you know, but there's people that are, and, and it makes me think like that is the bid that they get people who aren't the top, top, super crazy Bezos 1%. We're fighting over scraps, bro. Even, We're fighting over scraps. Yeah. Even though you and I make what we make, like you make more than I do. Um, the gap between us has, has shrunk yeah. over the past year or so, two years, but you and I live opulently and we know it, but we have empathy that's associated with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Think about all the people that make what we make and think that this is expected. Like this is, this is what it's like to be middle class. Yeah. When to me to be middle class, in my opinion, is having all your needs met, not having to worry about your bills being yeah. paid. That kind of shit to me puts you in the middle class type of bracket. Yeah. But the difference between um, somebody working and making $10 an hour at McDonald's and you is much less than the difference between you and Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Much. I mean, yeah. it's, it's incalculable. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no comparison there's no even, comparison. right? But when we're here and we're on the ground and we see it and we're, cause you can't even really you can't really fathom what it is to have $300 billion or yeah. whatever it is that just Bezos- net worth is $193 billion. The fact that we have people like that and dude, I will not hate on his money at all. I will like, fuck him. Huh? He shouldn't exist. Yeah, but I still buy shit. From B- billionaire shouldn't exist. Once you hit 999 <laughs> million, million 999,000. It goes towards everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I think you've won, you've won the game in America. Do you know what? Eat shit, bitch. I don't, I don't feel any fucking sympathy towards <laughs> you and your ridiculous amount of money that you would never be able to spend in a, a thousand lifetimes. Here, here's what I, here's what I think. I think that if we, knew exactly where our money was going. Cause I had this discussion with some of my friends. If we knew exactly where our money was going in terms of like tax dollars and stuff like that, then I think that we would be more inclined to invest in, in ourselves because right now it doesn't look like anyone knows where our money's going. When we pay these taxes and we do all these other things, if we can see these changes happening and that's why I believe that there needs to be a much more, much more priority given to state, and local matters. Well, mecha- More, mechanical solidarity. Yes, mechanical Mun- sol- municipalities need to be held accountable yeah, like a motherfucker. And, and we come back around to Bowling Green. And Bowling Green is small and big at the same time. Yeah, like, that's it's why I said big. we're too big and too small to not give a shit about. Like, but that we should don't. be a problem to everyone. Well, but we don't. We yeah. don't give a fuck. And to be honest with you. I'm concerned that it took that for it to become a problem to me. 
the and and you said that where do we go from here? The only thing I know personally that has made me take inventory because I am I'm I'm a nerd when it comes to um tax money and grants mm-hmm. and where it's coming from because how do you think I'm fucking funded? How do you yeah. think that these programs that I facilitate people on and and I do really fucking well. We whoop mad ass mm-hmm. and it's it's a difficult thing to do it correctly because you don't want to just throw money at an issue because it's, it's, it's the same difference on a more complicated and more grandiose scale mm-hmm. to uh, allocate grant money yeah. towards an individual versus just handing them a, like you see somebody panhandling and you hand them a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. It, it It's throwing a bandaid on a bullet wound. Yeah, you have to, is. you have to look at the, the, systemic what's the derivation in all this you have to acknowledge you can't save everybody you just do your best Mm -hmm. and not and try not to internalize it and and feel like you're a failure because ultimately that's my problem well ultimately you're making it about you Mm, fuck you it it does but that sucks to hear but it's a beautiful thing that you know it now that you that you recognize it now that's why you don't you don't hear me talk about my job very much outside of the podcast mm-hmm. because it's so fucking consuming. It's who I am. It's it's every day. Um, I think about it on the weekends. I get phone calls on the weekends. And I tell you, I could work I could work way harder, but I only have so much energy that I can that I can allocate. And I've changed hundreds of lives over the years. For the better. I, I know I fucking have, but no part of that gives me solace. If anything, it it gives me more frame of reference for how much more work there is to be done. Cause I'm just one dude. And then I'm one dude that's part of one team that works together that gets this accomplished. So I'm not doing this on my own. I'm doing this in conjunction with other service providers across agencies, with other people on my team. What it comes down to is especially somebody that's not in the field, that's not trained in the field, that hasn't been in the field for a fucking decade of their life is really stepping outside of what you consider to be your role, your lot in life, your trajectory. And you have to, you have to sit down and say, okay, how much of my life am I willing to give away? You know, you you talk about your dad sending money back to Nigeria That's an extreme example. If he's doing it to his own detriment, then I get it. Like, I understand. But you have to sit down and you have to take inventory and see where you draw the line and where your boundary is as far as how much of your own time. Because that's really what we're talking about is time and effort. That's really the only commodity that fucking matters. And that's what you can convert into any other form of currency, right? How much how much of your existence are you willing to to uh, allocate towards this? How much discomfort are you willing to undertake in order to address this? And beyond that, you have to acknowledge that you got to get with other people and do it. It's fucking fundamental that you do it as a team. So if you, if you have this knowledge in front of you and you genuinely, which is a gift and a curse at the same fucking time, Mm -hmm. you have been, you have had a hex put on your ass. I swear, dude, I swear to God, something told me to look like I, I tried, Chris. Kalu. I tried to not look at yeah. him, dude. I tried to not look at him in his eyes. Someone was just like fucking look at him, stare him in the eyes and look at what the fuck you, you've been complaining about this shit for 
for days. And now look at like this is someone you know. Why do you, why do you think that I don't leave my job? Yeah. I just it's it's an intrinsic part of who I am. I've opted to stay in the trenches on this shit and then just start other revenue streams because I'm like, got to do this. I got to be part of the team. These people need me. My, my clients need me. And not only do my clients need me, my team needs me. And the fact that these other people are willing to do it gives me life. Yeah. That's what's the important thing. If you do it by yourself, one, you're going to lack frame of reference, experience, ability, all this other shit. But if you do it as a group, if you get with other people that have a desire to make change and enact change and are willing to be coached by somebody like me. I mean, real talk, somebody like me or somebody that's more knowledgeable than me, which is kind of a subjective thing because been in this field for a while and I know people that are older than me that are not nearly as good at case management and clinical stuff as I am. And I and there are places where I fall apart. I fucking hate tedium and mm-hmm. paperwork and shit like that. But man, boots on the ground, like going out and like really problem solving and stuff. Yeah. I got that. But you have to take inventory just like anything else in your life that we always talk about as putting things through the grinder. You have to put yourself through the grinder and say, okay, I'm willing to allocate 10% of me, whatever that means. Cause you are not your I've income. It's not money. Yeah, it's not. Dude, it's not. Like, but that's I, part I, of it. That's yeah. a piece of it. But that still leaves 90% of you yeah. to you to allocate to whatever. Now that 90% is going to be consumed by familial duties, you know, friendship based mm-hmm. stuff, occupational based stuff. But you're still going to have plenty left over, even if you allocate 10% of who you are towards that shit. And if you had everybody in the goddamn community allocating that that is able to allocating a small amount of their time, energy, effort and assets towards addressing these social issues instead of turning the blind eye towards these people as though they're just fucking ghosts then you see meaningful change because if you don't, if you undertake it yourself and you try and do something about it, you're going to not see, you're, you're not going to see yourself I'll going and make it about me and you'll make it about you and you won't be going anywhere. And the discomfort will eventually result in, especially a difficult situation will result in you blaming who is a victim mm. because it's something that I contend with. It's, it's not something I think, even my most difficult cases, I don't think, well, it's this motherfucker's fault. I think, well, we're doing the best we can with mm-hmm. what we have. Like, uh, it, it becomes natural consequences. It's about as far as it goes. This is a natural consequence of your actions. And it comes down to communication and investment in another person's well-being. That shit cascades. Yeah. But again... You can't go it alone. You don't have the toolkit for it yet. Yeah, I don't. But if you have the desire, and you and there are plenty more people like you mm-hmm. that if they had that moment of profundity, that epiphany, that holy shit kind of moment that you had, which most people don't. A lot of people probably aren't even capable of it. But if you get with more like-minded people, and, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of well-intentioned people or seemingly well-intentioned people that are overly emotional about the shit and they do a disservice to the entire 
movement because yeah. I, I can't call it anything other than a movement because mm-hmm. uh, there's a vast array of advocates and not all these advocates. Some of them are making them it about themselves and not even fucking realizing mm-hmm. it. That overly emotional shit. Anybody that's overly emotional about a cause that doesn't directly affect them is doing a disservice to that cause and making it about them yeah. in my fucking opinion. Otherwise, why are you fucking twirling and crying about the shit? Yeah. You're wasting energy. You're wasting energy feeling sorry for yourself. Oh, poor me. I didn't get what I want. This is unfair in my mind. This yeah. isn't, uh, this is an unfair in practice. So like I said, it's a shot in the dark. It's hard enough for me to do it when it's my job, much less I can't fathom trying to direct. And I, and I'm currently doing that. Well, I, there's a group of individuals in Bowling Green that are looking to address homelessness. And I I met with them and we did a a zoom meeting and discussed like, you know, avenues that they can go in addressing homelessness. And we have ongoing email correspondence that's related to it, but they're few and they're getting started from scratch. And the more I began to talk to them and try and unpack for them, the more I'm like, God damn, you are ill prepared. Like I feel ill prepared to address shit sometimes and I'm a bad motherfucker. Mm. Like I am, I'm daddy dog. Like when the rubber hits the road and everything is completely falling apart, I'm the guy they call. Mm. Cause they're like, Chris, we have to figure this out. And I'm like, all right, I got to figure out the least detrimental. It's damage control. I, I need to figure out the least detrimental scenario. It's a controlled descent. It's controlled fall yeah, because controlled burn, whatever you want to call it, bro, because you, 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 you will encounter scenarios where you, and you're a fixer too. Yeah. You got to let go of the edge of the pool and understand that there's no one right remedy ass answer that's associated with it. You have to embrace it, walk through the fucking flames on it, come out the other side and have your identity check your it's like at the gym you got to check Kalu at the fucking door when you walk in the gym mm-hmm. if you're going to get your work done you got to check your ego you got to check who the fuck you are at the goddamn door or you're not going to get your work done and that's why it's so zen for you because who you are comes with it a whole lot of responsibilities and thoughts and and think about the 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 comfort that it gives you to walk through the flames that is going to the gym. It's the same thing with going out in the fucking community when you've got a client that if you don't show up and de-escalate them, then the law, then law enforcement is going to show up and escalate and take them to jail or whatever it may be. So my big long winded ass public service announcement ass answer really comes down to, um, I really don't give a fuck. You're not on the squad. You're not you. And I don't blame you. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't have the energy to sit around blaming motherfuckers, but you can sit around and think that homelessness is bad and be a liberal and we want to do this. And I'm, I'm in favor of this policy, bitch. It comes down to your community. And if you're not actively participating and addressing it in your own community, then you're you're complacent and you're part of the fucking problem yourself. And that's just the way it is. I don't go around harping on it because people don't want to hear it. Yeah. But if I'm asked. Either you're part of the solution or you're part of the problem. And like you said, it starts with the community. You can uh, as as our starts with seeing them. 
it starts with them being seen and humanized. And then you tend the garden you can touch. It's that fucking simple. And we have the ability within our community in Bowling Green to really turn the tide. But we need the movement to cascade across multiple individuals. And we have to flip the middle finger to some of these charming like fixtures of the Bowling Green or Warren County community that shake hands and kiss babies and drink craft beer together on the fucking weekends and and make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year and hold those motherfuckers accountable. And that comes down to local legislation, zoning issues. Zoning is a big fucking problem with this. So ladies and gentlemen, for my role in this, whether you like the tone of my voice, my, my, perceived arrogance, the angles I come from, whatever. This is one thing I do know a lot about. And if you want to be part of the solution, then you're going to have to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to get with other people and you're going to have to get motivated. And you'll have to acknowledge that you're giving pieces of yourself away. I give an enormous amount of myself away. I give I give as much as I can. I'll say I give about mm, fucking 50% of who I am as a human being is is allocated towards that and and again it's tied to my one of my paid sources my my income streams but i don't make that fucking much money doing it it's just built into it do other stuff yeah Yeah. and and that's why i opted i thought about it and i was like i just don't if i'm going to be part of this community i got to be part of the solution in this community and why not get paid while i'm doing it and then i'm like okay i've got the flexibility in this job What's something else I can do? All right, I'm strong, so I'm going to move heavy items for money. So there I go. I, I bridge that gap yeah. there. So, you know, you got to you gotta step out of your fucking role uh, in the organic solidarity sense. Like, well, I'm a physician or I'm an IT professional or whatever. Bitch, first and foremost, you are a member of this community. And what can you do to make this community better and part of that is getting your fucking hands dirty and getting with other people yeah it's it's realizing it's it's way less to do with your with your wallet and way more to do with just your soul like who who you are as a person taking damage yeah it's it's going to war dog it it is it is a warrior mindset when you step out it's like truth and reconciliation you know it is it's recognizing yourself as the vic- just as much the victim as, as as you are the perpetrator. You have been, yeah. We've like, all, I'm we've a fucking all, perpetrator, bro. I am too. <laughs> I'm just like I, I am too. Yeah. I, I fucking am too. Despite, and that's why I, I get disgusted with. And I've talked about it before. I get disgusted with compliments. Like you do such a good job. I, I really admire the work you do. I'm like, bitch. I'm barely scratching the fucking surface. Yeah. Like I could do so much more, but. The, the good thing is, the good news, I've given you all the bad news on how how we fix this. If we, it, and we can, yeah. it's just a matter of you motherfuckers doing it. But uh, the good news is, um, you, you've got plenty of room, there's plenty of wiggle room, and you can decide how much of yourself you're willing to give away. That's awesome. That's it. You, That's you, true, you, really you make that decision, but... Don't be a bitch about it. Don't be some hoe-ass motherfucker that's like, oh, yeah, like, policy-wise, because it's this silent, complacent, neoliberal bullshit that, if anything, 
does more of a disservice to the movement than the active vitriol and victim blaming that comes from the right, the the overt out on the right. If anything, that draws attention to it in a way that it can be addressed. Whereas this neoliberal inaction that I see from a lot of people is sweeping under the rug type mm-hmm. shit. So you can fucking shove it. Yeah. Either either put up or shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that was good stuff, dude. I really appreciate the uh the talk. It was it it's got me thinking even more. Uh, I'm going to try and reach out and see what things I can get involved in. Well, I'll, uh, I'll include you on that email thread. These these people are trying to do some good work in Bowling Green and you're quite adept at organizing people and, and we need all kinds. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that I can do to, to help. And for those of you guys out there, if you all are interested in doing any sort of thing to help, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, hopefully, I hope that none of you guys get to a point where you see someone that was your friend and uh and you try to not look at them i hope you don't have to go through anything like that it, it just i mean if you give a shit about people it sucks to just to see that yeah and it, for me it would suck to be invisible and to think of how much strength that it takes to be someone who who in my opinion was well known and to be that person to walk out onto the street holding a sign asking people to give you money knowing that you're going to see someone that you're that you know like and dealing with in my opinion if i was if i was in that situation dealing with like the shame like because that we do have a society that measures you upon what you do and 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 all that kind of stuff and it is very merit based and to know that these people think that you're nothing before they before they think anything else like that takes a whole lot of strength that I don't think that I would have. And honestly, dude, I would think of killing myself more than I would think of doing the shit that they did. It's that bad for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's I, that bad for me. Well, and I'll, I, I, and again, I'll say that the majority of folks that I help out um, are gracious and they want help. And a lot of times they're more candid about their situation and they blame themselves when it's, it's not really their fault. They're a product, they're a product of their environment and they're a product of, you know, predispositional factors. But I'll say one thing that I've, I thought of and I've really been pushing at the agency is, you know, we see people that don't have a tooth in their head that are around our age or younger. They don't have a tooth in their head, maybe through, we'll say like methamphetamine use, Uh drug use in general. Um, you know, some people get them pulled for, so they can get pain pills or whatever. Think about the difference it would make if you had everything that you have, but you didn't have teeth. Fuck. Yeah, man. And you go to the mirror and you. Yeah. Okay. I, when I worked for intensive in-home family and I'll leave it, I'll leave it here on, on my end. But when I worked for intensive in-home family preservation, which was a initiative to keep at risk children that were at risk of removal from their parents or guardians, whether it be grandparents, you know, mom, dad, whatever, are at risk of removal by DCBS due to any number of reasons. It's a family that it has an active case with DCBS and their case manager at DCBS has mandated that they have an intensive in-home family preservation services. So a motherfucker like me would walk in and work with them on addressing some of those issues. Well, I had one lady that was really resistant and problematic 
um, when it came to, you know, cooperating with what I'm trying to do. And I'm not some hubba bubba ass motherfucker like, like, I'm not going in there and patronizing them and saying like, okay, we're going to play this game and share feelings. And if you Mm -hmm. if you uh, share a feeling that's good, then you get a green Skittle. If you and some of those little programs that like little deals they have you do are like that. I would just hip them to what the fuck was going on. You got to do X, Y, and Z to get your kids back. And I would try and build a rapport. Well, it took me a while to build a rapport with this woman, but we figured out some sort of program that was helping out with um, getting dentures for folks Mm. and got her on, got her teeth. And once she had teeth, and again, she was like my age, didn't have any teeth. And she was just mad at the world. Once we got her teeth, she became an entirely different person and made enormous strides. So I would say that that's just one idea yeah. is if you see somebody out that doesn't have a tooth in their head, instead of you being like, oh, crackhead, meth head, whatever. Reexamine your value system. Think about how you would feel about yourself if. If you had gone down a certain path, whether you believe in drug addiction as an illness or not, and then you want to make a turn in your life, but you look in the mirror and you don't even recognize the face because there's not a tooth in your head. Let's, uh, let's work on, and, and I, I don't really have a lot of time, but I'll help out where I can. Let's work on getting people dentures that need dentures. Mm. Because it makes a world of difference when somebody can look in the mirror and see their smile again. Yeah. Just not even, I mean, dentures, just haircut, any sort of thing, just so you can feel normal. You know, and I was making a comment, and I'll be done right after this. I was making a comment about with, with people, that was me saying that message to Matt. Uh, when people go through and they they get their stimulus checks and they want, or, or their tax return, they go and buy a TV, it's because all they want to do is feel normal. All they want to do is feel yeah. like they're a part of something. And if that's what makes you feel like you're a part of something, then fuck, who am I to say that? You know what I mean? Who am I to say that you're wrong? Like my privilege, I shouldn't be making any sort of comment because I do have all those things. You know, I just, I don't know. Well, and it- like how, how privileged is it that the one thing that I want that I've got to make sure that I have, I'm being dead serious. And those of you guys who know me know this about me. I only will drink simply orange or simply lemonade with like, that's what I, that's my one thing that I want of all the worries of all the other things that can happen that I can have or want or be concerned about. Like I'm such a fucking diva and I'm just like, no, I'm only drinking simply orange, orange juice, no pulp. I only drink simply lemonade, you know, all that stuff. That and then I, fire. This simply it is lemonade is my jump yeah. off. And then I just, I, I, I double, I drink, I have a nice refrigerator filter and I, pour that filtered water into my Brita filtered thingamajig. So I'm a fucking diva with that. That's it. That's all I care about, dude. Everything else is taken care of. Everything else I feel moderately fine about. You know, I'm still rebuilding finances from the divorce and all that kind of shit. But even that, I can live just fine, but, dude. But, but maybe everything being taken care of for you is hamstringing you. Yeah, as a human being, could be when it comes to growth and self actualization. I'm a house cat, bro. I am a I'm that, a fucking comfy why, house cat. Why do you think I do wild boy shit? Why do you think that I'm buying a house in the country where I yeah. can't get DoorDash? Yeah, where 
I'll be able to, you know, do things that my ancestors did because I feel like we've strayed. It, it's been too much of a good thing. And I think it, it acquaints us not only with our own humanity, but the humanity of others to endure hardship and have to do things for ourselves instead of just throwing money at an issue. Hmm. Guys, I hope this has given you all enough to think about. As always, uh, please reach out if you have any sort of feedback, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram, at the Salumas Podcast. We're on drugs. We're on drugs, <laughs> motherfucker. No, we're not on drugs. Uh, but uh, I take Zyrtec. Oh, my God. Yeah. We're not going further with any of this. But, uh, <laughs> I do. <laughs> please, so, guys. Sometimes, too. <laughs> you rebel. Uh, please, guys. <laughs> Figure out something like step outside and, and look at how much privilege that you guys have. And I hope that you guys understand that the problem of poverty and the po problem of homelessness, it's a reflection on all of us. And I get it that some people do put themselves in these situations, but goddamn, there has to have been something that was done to make that person feel like they have to do whatever it is that they did to get there. And I think that we're all a part of that. If we think that America is so united and we're all together in this and all this kind of shit why is it that we leave those people to the side and i think it's because it's not comfortable to have to look at them it's not comfortable to have to address those things and for for a second for that short second that i was at that red light i had i was made to feel insanely uncomfortable and that that's not a good feeling it's just not a good feeling it was, and it's because i knew that person i could finally match a face with you know match memories and experiences with that face that was sitting there holding that sign asking for money and it fucked me up and so guys again i sound like a broken record but please take care of yourselves take care of each other come up with some shit let's talk about it go and reach out to any sort of resource that can help the community and let's let's make this place better let's start with bowling green or start with whatever town you're in and then we can work our way up and shut your bitch ass up about getting offended about words and fucking yeah it, it's not time for that ladies and it's gentlemen not. it's not there are people dying and i get offended by poverty i get offended by people needlessly losing their lives yes there are certain things that are related to it but if you're if you're offended by theoretical or abstract elements of it instead of actually being out here fucking fighting the fight Eat, eat a butthole. Eat a dirty butthole that you don't want to eat because I ain't got no time for it. If you're offended, fuck you. I don't care. This is not the time for being... And, and I'm not... I'm not, this is going back to this, our talk on cancel yeah. culture or whatever. Uh, what is it? Consequence culture. Fuck each and every one of you that's on Facebook, virtue signaling, or even with good intentions, sitting on there being like, well, this is a real problem. And then you, you comfortably work whatever position that you have and go home and have your hobbies and you feel good because you're on the right side. Bitch, it don't matter. You ain't on my side. I don't consider you a fucking ally. I consider somebody who is very politically diametrically different than I am that is actually another public servant more of an ally than I do you motherfuckers. So listen, that's the way it is. I don't care. I do not fucking care. You are not my goddamn ally unless you're out here putting things in action. And if you're actively offended about stuff, that's wasted fucking energy. Action speak louder, man. All day. Guys, we are out. Peace.